Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what is up, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And I am here once again to finish out our Path to College series with my friend Martin Bamey. What's up, dude? Yo, I'm just excited to get this uh, last part out. I know, right? Final cool piece of the puzzle. I like, like to think, epic anyway. Peter Jackson trilogy here. It maybe. is something to that effect. It's probably not I that think. exciting <laughs> because part two is all about finances. It's, it's exciting for me. I love the two towers and I don't like FAFSA stuff. But hey, it's, it's needed information, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So this third part. However, this is th- I think this is going to be my favorite mm. of the three by far. I think so as well. Just because I'm going to be able to listen to this and remember useful things from it later on. Given the fact that the first episode required us to like dig back like six years to remember oh, a bunch that of was stuff hard. about like high school. That, also, don't put a number on there. You're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're basically grandpas at this point. Grandpas. I don't know. I well, don't, I felt a little I felt <laughs> a little bit like a grandpa yesterday when Anna didn't know who Scrooge McDuck was. Ouch. Don't so, bring that up. And then she looked at the picture and she had seen him before, to be fair. To be fair to Anna, I can't okay. Okay. can't make fun of her too much. That's but all right. she never watched DuckTales growing but up. He wasn't like a cornerstone and of her life. He's, he's still a cornerstone Woo. of mine. He is. I don't remember the rest of the lyrics, but all I remember is the show was great and the video game is honestly quite fantastic. Oh yeah, it's actually a pretty good Didn't game. Didn't they remake it? Yeah, it's on Wii U. Yeah, I've heard Probably it's really on something good. Else too, I've heard but it's it, like a really good like example a, of a platformer. Yeah done fun. right so welcome to college and Geek, the video games podcast <laughs> yeah but now today uh no trust me i'm gonna get into video games later i'm i'm gonna be on overwatch as much as i can for the next few days <laughs> oh man that game is so good but today uh we are putting the final touches on our path to college series with an episode on becoming college ready and that's a term that can be an umbrella for many different things but uh I just want to call it like how to become an adult because that is kind of what you're doing. It's the process of leaving the nest, leaving your parents and going off and trying to figure out how to manage your life on your own. And college is definitely a more insular environment than not college, uh, the real world. But it still does require a lot of management, a lot of uh, new skills and a lot of just other things that you have to learn. Um, so I'm pretty excited to get into that. But honestly, Martin, you did most of the research for this one. So I'm just going to sit back and tell stories about uh, right, sounds good. how I tried to become an adult. I like stories. But you actually found this pretty cool study that kind of justifies like the whole reason for this episode being a thing. Like, I mean, I think I think it's justified in, itse- in itself, but there's some data behind it, right? Oh, yeah. Well, see, I was excited about this episode already. And then suddenly when data backed up, yes, this is a great idea for an episode, mm-hmm. just made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I always feel warm and fuzzy when I read data. Always. Because we I'm are robots. A robot. Sorry. Actually, I'm a human. <laughs> Don't pay no attention to that. So um, the study I found, and we can we can like link to the study, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Essentially, they surveyed a bunch of college students that were in their second semester of freshman year. And 
some takeaways from this, the ones that I find the most interesting anyway, were that 60% of those freshmen in their second semester wished that they had had more help emotionally preparing for college. 60%. That's a pretty significant amount. Do you know how many people were in this? Um, they, they actually interviewed, uh, 1,502 students. Okay. So that's a pretty good number. So pretty, pretty decent amount. Mm-hmm. And with 60% of these people saying they weren't really emotionally prepared, I'd say that's a significant background for why this episode should exist. Yeah. But, that's more than half. Yeah. And in addition to that, we've got 50% that reported being stressed most or all of the time. That is... Well, it's stressful. That's a horrible number. Yeah. <laughs> for most or all of the time, literally like 80, 70, 80%, maybe more of your college experience stressed. That's That sounds fun. Yeah. And uh, we've got 36% didn't feel as if they were in control of managing the stress of their day-to-day lives there. So we're going to get into how to do some of that stuff too. Mm-hmm. And almost half, 45%, thought that everybody had college figured out but them, which doesn't make sense if you yeah. think about that number there. Well, actually, I think that, that they, the data should help put that like really well in perspective. Yeah, it turns out very few people felt like they knew what was going on. So don't don't worry about it. And this I feel like this is a an echo or maybe like a precursor of the same thing that happens in adulthood where people feel like I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And everyone else seems like they have their bank account and they have their taxes figured out and they're getting married. And I don't know how to adult. And the reality is like most of us have to make it up as we go along. We have to get help from parents and pretty much nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. The secret is just that, I mean, all those other students that maybe you think have everything together. It's not like, do you go around and ask them all their personal problems? You have no idea how stressed they are. They're not just going to show it off. And if they do just show it off, well then I don't don't know if that would be a fun conversation to have. Maybe this is one of those problems that's like, again, exacerbated by Facebook and social media. Yeah, we all put on our, uh, we put our best foot forward. We're all walking around acting like we have the coolest life online to get cool points. But uh, I'm going to post some humble brags about how I opened my bank account. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently the bank wouldn't let me put in a hundred thousand first day. (laughs) Gosh, stupid banks. Humble brag. (laughs) I really need to get a better bank. I'm super bad at choosing banks, guys. I'm really <laughs> bad at it. Yeah, but <laughs> but I just thought 45% mm-hmm. who feel that way when clearly there's another about 45% of the same students who feel just the same. So it's not it's not that crazy. Yeah. But in response to these specific statistics, uh, I was thinking that in this episode we should go over things like emotional growth and stress management. And then uh, how to become a more active person, more about adult responsibility, essentially. Yeah. And then move on to one of my favorite things that college let me do, which was uh, personal growth and building an identity, essentially becoming a person, okay, uh, your own person. So these are the things that I felt would answer these statistics pretty well. Yeah. So let's get into emotional growth and stress management, as it were. I don't know about you, Tom, but one of the things that uh, a lot of students deal with when they go to college for the first time is homesickness. Did you ever have that? No. <laughs> no? I Okay, so I have to make a little bit of an admission here. If I were taking that study, and maybe people won't find this surprising at all, but I would be like in the percentage of students who didn't report a lot of those things. 
I re- I'm struggling to find a way to say this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm bragging, but here comes the humble brag. Hashtag humble brag. All right, let me put it this way. When I was growing up, there were a few different times where my dad got laid off from his job and each time it wasn't his fault. One time just the company like went under one time there was like some stupid political thing, but I got to witness firsthand that sometimes bad things happen to us when we don't have control over them. And um, that book that I just told you I was reading last week, The Unwritten Laws of Business, had a great quote in it where it said, you need to create your own emergencies to deal with now in advance. Otherwise, other people, your competitors, will create emergencies down the line for you that'll be more embarrassing or harder to deal with. And I think what it was trying to say is like, you need to be getting in front of potential problems. You need to be preparing yourself in advance, basically being Batman, right? Yeah. All the time. And like seeing this happen, seeing it happen to other people in my life, people that I knew when the 2008 stock market crisis hit, like I wasn't affected because I was a high school student, but I was, you know, reading the news and like basically there was all these headlines that college students are totally screwed right now. Anybody graduating in this market is never going to get a job. And I was like, holy crap, I never want to be in a situation where I have to feel victim, like a, like a victim or under the control of all these external factors. And I can never, I can never be a hundred percent independent of those things. I can never get ahead of them, you know, absolutely. But I can do some things now in advance to prepare for them. So that's why like during my junior and senior year of high school, I was at the local library. That's like two blocks from us. Now Uh, I checked out every college prep book that they had. (laughs) And I also happened to live half an hour away from my house. Like I did live in the dorms, but I think the the homesickness is a bigger issue. Yeah. The homesickness is definitely a bigger issue for students who go further because for me it was like, well, I can just drive home, you know, in half an hour. Um, But another thing is like, I was immediately hooked into a group of friends, not be, not because I knew them already. Uh, I went to college with one friend, didn't really know anybody else who went to college. Uh, like I, I know there are people from my high school who did go to Iowa state, but I didn't really hang out with them during my freshman year, but I did room with a friend and we ended up in a learning community that had like a, a dorm component. So we lived with our learning community. Um, and even though I was not really part of that major, um, the reason we were in the learning community was his major, not mine. I ended up becoming friends with all the people in that learning community because they were all anime love and weebs and love video <laughs> games and stuff. And I kind of like video games and stuff and I build computers. So I ended up that's like where my group of friends happened to be. And it took root really quickly. And I think that helped a lot. Um, that combined with the fact that I was working a part time job immediately when school started. So I was basically like too busy to ever be homesick. It was either friends want to play Counter-Strike at 2 a.m. or I'm at work or I'm at class. Actually, what when you say that, that makes a lot of sense because I've read that a Dr. Josh Klapow, maybe? Klapo? I don't really know how to pronounce it. Klapow! But, uh, a clinical psychologist and professor from the University of Alabama at one point described homesickness as coming from our need for love, protection, and security. So it's not necessarily that you don't like your new school or where you're okay. at, but that you're you're out of your element. You're uncomfortable. You don't know the area, so you feel you don't have your comfort zone established anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You're being out of your comfort zone is great, but in this case, you're entirely out of it, and there's like no return to it. Can I describe like a mini homesickness that I do get to you? Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you've ever gotten this, but 
sometimes when I go to like a professional event, uh, I know this happened at Podcast Movement, which is a conference I went to down in um, Texas when I wasn't hanging out with Matt and Andrew from Listen Money Matters at the time, or sometimes in the past when I have gone to bars, I feel completely out of my element. I feel insecure because I'm a little bit of an introvert. Like I have to be in the perfect right mood to channel all my weird buried extrovert energy. Um, It probably doesn't seem like that in my videos, but I'm technically an introvert, I believe. And when I find myself in these situations, I feel like I want to go home. I'm like, you know what would be a lot more fun than hanging out at this bar or this cool professional event? Sitting in my room playing video games. That would be great. <laughs> or, yeah. or I want to see my friends right now. Even if uh, even if I know this event provides me a great opportunity, I would like to just leave and go back home. So I feel like I've gotten that. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there with like the lack of security. And what did you, what did you say the other ones were? It was uh, like a need for love, protection, and security. Like, yeah essentially a need to have a comfort zone to fall back into and when you move to a new university if you don't have one established yet and you're far away from home Mm -hmm. you literally have no comfort zone there yeah well haven't hasn't there been like research about people who retire and they kind of like they retire so they lose their entire social structure that came along with their job and maybe they moved to florida or something so they're much further away from their families and they die sooner and i think humans are social creatures so if you immediately go to university and you know, you're cut off from your home environment, you you've lost contact with most of your friends from high school, at least in person, face to face contact. If you don't move pretty quickly to get yourself hooked in, to feel some sort of security and some purpose and some relationships, it's no wonder the homesickness is going to hit. You're like floating. You you don't have anywhere to to latch onto, but that, that really reveals a good part of a potential solution for this because since Essentially, being lonely is going to be a big, big part of this. Mm-hmm. You've got to make new friends really as fast as you can. Yeah. Now, I cheated essentially my way to a friend group because I just I had a friend who was at the you university dirty, first. Dirty cheater. So <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have to struggle with this as much mm-hmm. either. But you said you had to. Mm-hmm. You met your friends through your. Was it a learning community or just? Yeah. So just what your happened? Dorm area. How did was, that work? I was going to room with my friend Ben from high school and Ben was majoring in computer engineering, I believe. And I had intended on majoring in MIS from the start. Um, All my other friends who did MIS switched to it. I was the only one who started in it. And because of that, we initially got assigned to the dorm on the east side of campus. It wasn't a learning community. It was just a normal dorm. And I was like, that's fine. That's cool. It wasn't the dorm I wanted. Because I really wanted to live in Friley because I had heard that Friley was really cool. You but were I was correct. Like, I was like, whatever. Yeah, because Friley is the one I had toured as well when I did the the junior year tour. And then Ben got into a computer engineering lear- learning community. Now, learning communities are usually a group of students who are in the same major or who intend to declare the same major. And they will often be put into the same classes, like same class periods. So you have the same professors. You can get together to uh, do your homework together. A lot of times there is like a, an organized weekly meeting component to it. There may be an advisor assigned to you. And in some cases, including this one, you actually live in the same house in the dorm. Uh, and that's exactly how, exactly what happened. 
Ben and I got moved into the computer engineering learning community. I wasn't technically part of it, but I had already signed on as, as his roommate. So I got moved along with him, which was awesome because it was in Friday. <laughs> so nice. I got the exact dorm I wanted and I wasn't in their learning community. So I actually didn't have classes with any of them. I didn't have any of the like if when I was studying down in the dorms with them, I didn't do any of the same homework, but I was at least kind of hooked in with them. And even though I was majoring in business, I had a lot of the same like common interests that computer engineering majors had. So I feel that I was pretty fortunate in that regard because I got kind of instantly connected to a new group. Yeah, well, that that actually could very easily explain why neither one of us had to deal too much with homesickness Mm -hmm. at Iowa State because a good we had a a home almost immediately. That being said, even though I didn't deal with homesickness, I had to help other people who did have to deal with it because when I was an RA, that was one of the things that it was basically our job to help with. If a student felt homesick, then um, it was our job to help. And that's one of the best things you can do if you do feel homesick is go to your RA because they can help point you in the direction of Uh, activities you can get involved in or other areas where you can make connections one of the cool things about the hall that i was the ra of is it was the honors hall um and there's just something about honors students they just want to get involved in everything so it seemed like almost every student in my dorm house was involved uh in something and a lot of the times like it was all the people from our house doing things together our house meetings were attended by everyone Everyone. Everyone. 100%. Yeah, I had 62. Just every time. It's 62 people in my uh, in my house and every week, which this was also the thing that kind of blew my mind. We had weekly house meetings because when I lived in Friley, we were just a normal dorm house. Like we were a learning community, but we weren't honors. We weren't anything like that. So we would have uh, about a monthly house meeting and attendance was pretty good at the beginning of the semester and then as the semester went on it really tapered off until like maybe you'd have like 10 or 20 people in the house (laughs) meetings and i'd imagine that's probably like (laughs) average that's probably to be expected for most yeah yeah exactly and then you know for my honors house um every week there was a cabinet meeting which happened in my dorm room which was ridiculous because my dorm room is the tiniest it was the tiniest i think it was literally the smallest room on campus Because I did a project one year with a friend when we were living on campus during the summer to go inside every building on campus. We failed because there's a lot of buildings and some of them are like secret government bunkers. But we did get into every uh, dorm and I saw many of the rooms. Pretty sure my room was the smallest one there was. So we had like 10 people because there's, of course, a zillion cabinet positions for all these honor students. And then they would immediately all go to the den and we'd fit 62 people in there. They were all connected, and that was what my um, my managers, uh, who trained me to be an RA, recommended we do: is like point students towards activities and encourage them to get involved in things. Because the more connected they are, and the less time they have sitting in their dorm room just thinking about how lonely they are, the the less homesick they're going to be. And then also, like we were basically trained to be emotional support ourselves, so we're kind of like the shoulder to cry on, the person that you can come talk to if you're feeling lonely. Which is a great point. If you live in a dorm, like there's at least one person there who will talk to you. You know, it's their job and it's their job because they want it to be their job. Yeah. And that so that that all makes a lot of sense, obviously. But let's say these activities that you would have to point people to. Uh, I, I can think of we got clubs, mm-hmm. intramural, intramural 
sports. Sorry, I didn't do them, so I can't pronounce them. Uh, <laughs> and tram roll. We there are a lot of like uh, I know that at Iowa State they had events at the MU kind of to get freshmen involved in doing stuff. They got social activities. The Memorial Union. Yeah, I have to say it like that because I have a very tough time saying Memorial. Yeah. So. So I guess what other kinds of activities are there? Did I, is that basically did I cover most of them? I know I made a lot of friends in my smaller classes, not not the huge lecture halls, but mm-hmm. the classes with 30 to 50 people. I found that a lot easier. I can only speak to what Iowa State did because I haven't gone to another college, but I can tell you the beginning of the semester, especially in fall, mainly fall because that's when most people are coming in, they do a lot to help people get connected. The week before classes start or maybe it's like the, the couple of days before they have an event called destination iowa state where if you are in a dorm you get uh hooked into like a group and there is a group advisor or team leader or whatever they call it and they take you to a bunch of events uh you get a bunch of information about the campus and then there's all these like social things uh, i remember there's like there was live band karaoke at the mu and i met my first college girlfriend there which is pretty cool um and a bunch of friends and sang Foo Fighters on stage with a live band backing me. Like, that was awesome. And they just had all these events. And, like, you just had to go out and get into them. And then they also had what they called Club Fest, which was oh, yeah. a Club giant was event. Huge. Like, every club on campus had a booth in this huge hall. And you'd go. And they just, like, give you tons of free swag. And you could sign up for them. Weren't there, like, get on email lists? 100, 180. How many clubs were there? There were a lot. Iowa State has over 800. 800. So, That's like, where the 80 when, came when we're from, listing this eight. off here and we just, like, say clubs as one little thing, like, It's I not can't a little thing. It's a how, huge thing. How, like, if you have an interest, there is a club. And if there's not a club, you can make it, which our friend Jake actually did. Uh, there was no Magic the Gathering club at Iowa State. And we got one set up. I mean, yeah, well, I think Jake like, did most of the work there. There were like 30, 50 people going there. So, right? yeah, we were having, I think we had like up to 50 people on um, Thursday nights on campus. I actually was going after graduation. I was going as a non-student because you can do that because it was just fun. Yeah. So, so if you've got an interest, you know, you can make it happen. I would say, and this is what I did as a student. I just sampled clubs like I, I sampled a ton of them. I joined the solar race car club. Uh, I know nothing about solar panels. I know nothing about building race cars, but I joined it because some of the other engineering students in the dorm were joining it. And I was like, that sounds like a cool thing to try out. Um, for a while, I was their web development chair because that's what I knew how to do. So I helped build their website and that gave me a little bit more purpose. So um, there's clubs. Intramural sports are great. Uh, let's see here. There are lots of events on campus. And what I like to do or what I like to do as a student was one, I would follow all the Twitter accounts and like the Facebook pages of the university departments and like the student activities board because they are always posting events and stuff. And then I would also just pay attention to whiteboards like or not whiteboards. Uh, you know, the bulletin boards that are just like up in buildings. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I would always just go have a look at them just to see if there's something fun. And um, because of one of those bulletin boards, I actually went, uh, I learned about a talk by Jeff Ma, who was the guy that, uh, have you seen the movie 21? I have not. Um, it's the it's that movie where, I don't maybe you know about it. It's like about the, uh, what like is the MIT, yeah, the MIT number kids. Keep who coming like, up or something? No, no, no. That's... That's a different one. That's the number three. I'm bad at, I'm bad at That's 23. I'm bad at movies. That's 23. That's Jim Carrey's attempt to do a horror movie or psychological thriller or whatever. No, 21's about that uh, MIT student 
group that went to Vegas and learned how to count cards. Oh, wait. Yeah, I've heard of that and one And Kevin too. Spacey's like their weird evil mentor or whatever. <laughs> as expected. I love that movie. I love that movie because I, as a college student, I loved movies about college, just like school students love school stories. Um, but I didn't like the stories about like just partying and like Animal House stuff. So my favorite movies were always like 21 and The Social Network and stuff like that. Uh, but he was the guy who literally did that. He actually learned how to count cards and went and basically fleeced Vegas. <laughs> he wrote a book about it. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was something like with house in the title. I can link to it in the show notes. Um, but I, I went and saw his talk and I got to shake his hand. And that was all because I stared at a bulletin board on the way to class. Cool. Yeah. And there's yeah. always there's always like house events like your RA is the part of their job. I know this was to have RA programming. So I helped organize barbecues and stuff. And really, you just have to get out to them. Like, yeah, so I think there's that's, no shortage of opportunity. No, no. It's really like really the shortage. The only shortage that ever comes up is like a shortage of motivation to get yourself out to them because they can be scary. Like I totally know. Oh, well, um, yeah. You're just like, well, what if I show up and no one wants to talk to me? Or what if I show up and like it's just not for me? You never know until you do it. Um, I ended up not staying with the Solar Car Club. I ended up not staying in Guitar Club. Um, I did play an open mic night, but I didn't. I ended up, you know, not liking it enough to stay. But I just tried out things, and I stuck with the ones that were really fun. Yeah, well, see, even if you didn't have the energy or the motivation to go do it, it's something you just gotta. You got it's like homework almost. This is going to affect how like emotionally successful you are, at least in your college mm. experience. You're paying a bunch of money for this. You're coming here, taking a bunch of classes, doing a bunch of homework. Social skills are one of the biggest things that I think you can take. Yeah. From college. I don't so know if uh, that's it's like homework. Go make friends, homework. You haven't listened to the entire CIG podcast catalog, so you probably don't know this, but um, episode eight, I interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk and some, some people listening will know who he is. Some people will not. Gary is a guy who he, he was on YouTube really early. Uh, he had like this wine show and it got really big. And then he became like a really, really famous personality in like the area of social media. He owns a huge business called VaynerMedia. He's got like over a million followers on Twitter, like pretty big deal guy. I was kind of my mind was blown when I got the interview with him because it was right as the podcast was starting. But he said something really interesting when I was talking to him. He said something to the effect of if I had a kid and I sent him to college. Now, bear in mind, Gary's a kind of an anti-college guy. He's really like all about the hustle, all about the experience. But he was like, if I had kids and I sent them to college, I would care more that they went to frat parties and hung out with people than about their classwork because yeah, the education is worthwhile. The work is incredible. Like the work is the most important. The experience is the most important, but the social development is arguably more important than the classes. Now, those are his words, not mine, but yeah, I think he's got somewhat of a valid opinion there that your social development in college really does matter. And there's a lot you can do to accelerate it. Well, that's, that's crazy. Actually more important than the education he says that. Yeah, that's his opinion. Yeah. And I mean, see, at it's the very least, he's a social media you guy, right? Take it seriously. He's not in med school, but I think it's, it's definitely, if not more important than 
the than the edu- the academics and the education. It's it's at it's least definitely very, very close important. To as important. I mean, think about how how much your social skills will affect your ability to uh, perform in interviews, mm-hmm. go to networking events, just basically everything forever because we work with humans all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So your ability to reach out to humans you don't know and uh, be social. I think you just you need. You you gotta build that skill. To be social. It doesn't just show up when the time is right. You have you need to build it. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that you benefit greatly from having time to socialize and to grow outside of your core friend group. Um, I know you you've oh, definitely learned the power of this. I'm learning it yet again uh, as an adult now because last I want to say semester because my brain's always steeped in college terminology but no just last year uh, ever since we moved into this house back into my hometown i kind of worked on my company which is just me uh it's now you and anna too but it was just me at the time and came home and hung out with you guys you know and you guys are all my best friends so i live with you but i didn't really have anything connecting me to the city i had really nothing kind of grounding me or keeping me hooked into any sort of external communities and then i started skating in January and now I've got a coach and now I know all the people who regularly practice there and they're not like my best friends but I just get so much Ouch. energy and confidence sorry if going and practicing with them yeah and I don't think any of them would call me their best friend oh, well we, just, I have friends you there, know there's there's you know? gonna be that one single tier when they listen to this podcast <laughs> dude but, I think it'd be weird if like my skating <laughs> friends listen to this podcast yeah. it's always weird when people listen to my podcast and they're like I don't know, like I know them, but it's not in a CIG context. Yeah. They're just like, oh yeah, you do this thing on the internet. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, but like the the point there, external groups outside of your your innermost circle of friends, I think that's very important because we kind of all tend to build our own little echo chambers. Mm-hmm. We tend to surround ourselves with people that have similar views and humor and we kind of get into a rut where we use the same inside jokes maybe and reference the same things. And I made a point in college to have two other friend groups that I would go and visit just because being forced out of my innermost group allowed me to kind of experiment with and rediscover who I was Yeah, a lot more because I wasn't just making the same jokes. I had to react differently because those friends would talk about different things. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, like, when you think about it at a surface level, it's kind of easy to assume that when I'm with my best friends, I can be super open. I can be exactly myself and, you know, it's going to be like the most perfect thing ever. And you can, but, and maybe this is just my experience. A lot of the time spent with my best friends, I'm so comfortable in this environment that a lot of times it's just like, it's like lazy, like it's just dumb jokes and references and like shared yeah, humor like, that we like kind unless of built you get together. out of the house, you do something specific. Unless you have a specific activity you're doing, yeah, it's kind of just let's just uh, can we just repeat uh, last Thursday? Let's just repeat <laughs> that. Everybody, same jokes. You got them. You ready? Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe maybe you, maybe someone else has a you know a super tight knit core group of friends, and they all do something like super constructive together. Maybe that's not the same experience that we've had, but. At least with my experience, my core group of friends like to hang out in the dorm rooms, play video games, make jokes, and that's awesome. That's fun. Super good times, right? But I need time to get out and to do something constructive, to do something I kind of suck at, get better at. Yeah. And 
being hooked into groups like that really helped to cut down on any possible homesickness I could have had. Um, also, having a job helped because I sort of had another group of friends there. I didn't hang out with them very much outside of work, but they were there for me when I was at work. And work also filled my time and kept my bank account from being empty, which provided some of that security you were saying people need. Um, you know, oh, yeah. so I felt, you're not freaking I out. financially How am I secure. Eat? Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to talk about jobs a little bit later, but that's that's another thing to think about. If, yeah, if a part-time job can security. provide something uh, beyond just a paycheck, it can provide a new community and some purpose. Yeah. Oh, and another thing I wanted to mention about homesickness before we move on from that whole thing is that since a lot of it's also like it's your comfort zone in general, part of what can help with this is literally getting more familiar with your school, your campus, the buildings, Mm -hmm. the areas you can walk to, where's a cool like bench to study at. You're not going to find these areas where you're like, oh, I now like this place. I like to study here. Finding those kind of places will give you a little bit more of a comfort zone eventually if you explore and get to know the place because otherwise you're just sitting around and you're surrounded by strangeness. That's true. Have you ever played a video game where like your little spot on the map is... Like it shows what's there, but oh, then the rest it's of it's like, like the fog of the war rest or whatever. Is fog. Yeah, and then you got to kind of it only yeah. reveals itself as you go through it. That's kind of what it's like, and uh, you want that zone to be bigger, otherwise you're going to feel very constricted. Yeah, um, because I lived half an hour from the campus during my senior year, I would actually just drive up to Iowa State uh, during the summer, and I would just walk around, um, and I'd walk into buildings, didn't care. I'd go to the just library, to hang out there, like. and by the time classes started. I was already somewhat familiar with the campus and I mean, I was already busy enough, but I kind of knew what I was doing there. Oh yeah. Um, Maybe like in the days going up to your first classes after you've moved in, like look around where are the buildings with your classes? That's an obvious tip. But part of what makes it help is that you're going to be more comfortable with what, where are these places? I'm not so lost mentally and or physically. Mm -hmm. Now that you, you, I really like that you brought this up because you're reminding me of a few experiences I've had with travel. Now, usually travel is really exciting and the novelty of it all kind of overrides any anxiety I could feel. But on occasion, when I've traveled by myself to like a business conference or something and I've gone to a city that I have no idea, I've never been there before, I have no idea what's there. um, If there's a moment when I'm alone, then I feel that. I feel homesick because I have no conception of the area around me. I think having an idea of what's around you, kind of having a mental map in your head of where you are in on this on this earth, does really help. So you had a uh, you had making friends on the list too. Yeah, I do want to go over that because we've talked about like oh you should get out of your yeah how to, how to friends, meet them. But like what if somebody doesn't have any friends at college right now in the first place? How do you meet friends? I have gotten questions about this many, many times. And my answer, I guess one part of the answer I could potentially give is, number one, if you want to meet a certain type of person, then go to where those types of people would be. Um, I remember specifically, I got an email from someone, it was maybe a year ago, and they were like, I really want to make friends with like really active, really involved, smart people. How do I do that? And I'm like, well, where do you think active, smart, involved people are going to be? They're probably going to be on sports teams or at the gym working out 
or they're going to be at social events and professional networking events. They're not going to be like hanging out in their dorm room playing video games. Oh, you must find them in their natural habitat. Yeah. So you have to go to these things, even if it means going alone. And um, <laughs> unless you're looking for a, the person who's just in their dorm room playing video games, you're going to have to go door to door. Well, that's another problem. Because How do they meet each other? I that's, know somebody I know difficult. somebody specifically who loves video games and they're like, I really wish I had more friends who like really liked video games. And I'm like, okay, then you're well, somebody's gotta leave their dorm room. Someone's first. gotta leave the dorm room, right? Somebody's you can't gotta just do it. All sit in your dorm and be like, I really wish someone would just walk in here right now. Or Though in college that does happen. Or or <laughs> maybe, maybe last resort. You just can't nobody wants to bring themselves out of their dorm room. You got a stalemate. I don't know, start a Facebook group or something. Maybe you'll find somebody. Maybe you'll find yeah, somebody local. Your you college probably has Facebook groups, and then you can know what dorm room you're going to go visit now. Oh, that's true, yeah. Meet somebody yeah, through I would say online communities. Tons of Facebook groups. Um, Iowa State also has a subreddit. In fact, I met a workout oh, partner. Oh, a subreddit. On, on the, guess, on the subreddit. I assumed that. <laughs> yeah. I never expected that, but I literally, I had a workout partner for an entire summer, and I met him on the subreddit. Yes, well, oh, that's... I know what happened. I posted the 14 legit study spots article oh, yeah. on the ISU subreddit. <laughs> and then someone was like, yo, uh, I noticed you posted a picture at the lead gym. Do you work out there? And I'm like, hell yeah, I work Is out there. Is this really how you, you Myron? study? Yes. Yeah. You a... <laughs> <laughs> literally put you Myron. And then we had a bunch of like memes and jokes in the thread. And then he's like, by the way, if you want a workout partner, I'm going to be there 8 a.m. Saturday. And I was you like, found sure. a workout partner through... Yeah. The study locations post. Yep. All right. And actually, That's this cool. guy, this is a perfect example because he told me my hobbies are doing my job, working out a lot, and playing lots of StarCraft. So he was the, the kind of dude who was at the gym and otherwise he was in his dorm room playing StarCraft. Oh, and he so met a friend, me, through Reddit. So yeah. that's that's a there way. There you go. Online <laughs> communities. I guess I underused them, but they exist. They do exist, yeah. The main thing, though, is I want to stress the the power of just being willing to try new things. Um, that book that I read recently, The Happiness Equation by Neil Pasricha, uh, it talked about like this kind of order of things that, that most people go through in order to get themselves to do something. And he kind of sets it up as like, most people think to do something, you first have to be able to do it. And then once you have the ability to do it, you have to want to do it. And then from there you do it. And I think a lot of people have this problem. They're like, oh, I, I don't I don't program because I can't program. I don't swim because I can't swim. I don't figure skate because I can't figure skate. And he makes a really simple change to this model. It's first a line from can do to want to do to do. And he just makes it a circle. Do, can do, want to do, do, repeating, right? For him, like he, he told a story in the book about how he had a terrible experience when he was a kid, um, almost drowned in a pool because like someone played a practical joke on him, I guess. And That's not from a, there, not a good joke. I know. Right. But from there, he was like super scared to ever swim. And he was like, I can't swim. I'm just it's not I'm not cut out for it. So I'm not going to do it. And then eventually he started dating this girl who said, I love swimming. It's my favorite thing to do. What about you? And he's like, nope, I hate swimming. And she's like, well, then you're going to have to learn because my family has this cabin that's on an island in the middle of a lake and we all swim there and hang out every summer. That sounds amazing. And he was like, well, I'm really into this girl, so I better take swimming lessons. (laughs) (laughs) And he did that. And in fact, when I was a teenager, I had a very similar situation. I 
thought that I was very scared of roller coasters until a girl I liked wanted to go on a roller coaster with oh, me. Yes, the ultimate ultimatum. And of course, I said, "Get over oh, your yeah. fears. I'll go or on a give up your chances." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it worked out. We dated for like six months after I went on that roller coaster. Well, there you go. You could have so, just stayed in your comfort zone and been like, "I don't know." Boom. Roller coasters are scary, guys. Yeah, but that wouldn't have helped. Yeah, so I think that's a common. Uh, objection people throw up to the idea of trying new things or going to new things where they might meet new friends. They're like, well, that's, I don't know how to do that. Well, everyone starts out as a baby that doesn't even know how to walk. The babies are audacious enough to try to walk because they see other people doing it and they're like, I could probably do that. That's yeah, the, they don't, they the don't mindset. feel ashamed when they can't do it. They're not like, yeah. oh, I'm an idiot baby. All the other babies think I'm stupid when I try to walk. Yeah, just, uh, just do it. If, if you're afraid to try something because you think you might be bad at it or you might be embarrassed, just picture me with my beard on a pair of ice skates alone going to a 7 a.m. practice session, knowing no one there, and then just trying to go backwards and having an old lady come up to me and be like, I need to teach you how to not kill yourself, otherwise you're going to get injured. <laughs> that was a little bit embarrassing, well, but I got over it. It's very convincing care. that she was going to be the one to teach you, though. Very convincing. Yeah. If you the, don't let me teach you, you will die. My kind of, uh, my kind of like view of the world, um, at least when it comes to like in the the potential to, of embarrassing myself, is I think about like think about all the internet witch hunts that have happened, or like all like the embarrassing stuff that's happened on the internet. Like people laugh at it for a day, and then they completely forget it. Right. Like. Let me tell you about how many times a day I think about the Fine Brothers thing that happened on YouTube. Never. And it, it was a big deal at the time, sure. And you are almost 100% unlikely to do anything nearly as bad as they did. But still, like, all that rigmarole, all that crazy stuff that happened, I don't think about it. Nobody thinks well, about see, it. See, I don't even know what on. you're talking about, so that's a pretty good example. They, they tried it to trademark matter. the word reaction, basically, and they wanted to, like make everyone license the ability to make reaction videos even though people have been making reaction videos on vh1 since the 1980s well that doesn't sound like, like it was a good idea but presumptuous dicks see, i didn't even know about it so time passes and suddenly it doesn't matter yeah it's a, right so no, if nobody you, cares if you decide that hey i'm a big bearded man but i want to learn how to figure skate because it's fun and it is like rollerblading on ice but i'm really bad at it cool uh, you're going to suck for a few days and then you'll take a class and then you'll get a little bit better and then you'll get a coach and then you'll win your first competition. Boom. Or, you know, whatever it is you want to do. The downhill off-road skateboarding club. That was a real club at Iowa State. You know, or the fashion design club. There's a zillion of them. And whatever kind of people you want to meet, you're probably going to find them doing those things that you probably want to do yourself. And even if you're bad, you'll eventually get good, right? Yeah. Get good. Sucking at something's just the first step to getting kind of good at something. Wise words. <laughs> Wise From a words. dog. Yeah. All right. Now, the, the next thing I want to talk about in the emotional growth stress management part is now the stress management part. So let's mm -hmm. talk about how to cope with these problems in, in a healthy way. Let's say you're suffering from tons of homesickness or you, you're very, very stressed out. What are some mm -hmm. good ways to deal with that because you, I mean, I can't make you avoid getting stressed. It is almost certain that every student will be stressed during their college thing. That's how it works. There's hard work to do. There are deadlines. Yeah. It's going to come up. 
So what do you do? And uh, right off the bat, I can think of uh, using exercise and meditation oh, as, yeah. as ways to deal with stress. Those are excellent. Um, I, I, going for a walk outside is like oh, the yeah. first thing. Yeah. Oh, outside. Outside is a wonderful thing. The, Have you ever heard of biophilia? Uh, no. There's wait, something it called might the, be an album by Bjork. Oh, wait. You Okay. You told me about something... I don't remember the Japanese um, term. Yoku, I think. Shinrin-yoku, yeah. For, it's like forest bathing. Forest bathing, yeah. And there's not this. like you're bathing in the forest, but in your, you're bathing in the nature. You're right. taking in all the nature. Yeah, it's just and this it's helping you become more mentally Japan healthy. Being it's outside is better. Well, the biophilia hypothesis is just kind of a formalized version of this that says humans do well outside in nature. We evolved there. Why not? Um, and I don't know. There's all this research about it. Uh, I could probably do a video on it eventually, but all I know is when I go outside for a walk, I feel less stressed. Yeah. Outside, out, outside is a beautiful thing we got. So in addition to uh, going for walk, exercising, meditating, hobbies and art forms, like I worked on music a lot to handle mm-hmm. when I was stressed, I would create music, play instruments. Yeah. Cause that's something where you're creating something, you know, it's positive. Yeah. You can turn your stress into something to feel good about. Yeah. You're you're using the negative to create positive. Stress can be difficult. Um when I was younger, I definitely would have taken a beep boop, beep boop, I'm a robot, let's uh fix the problem right now mindset to it. But what you taught me in our episode on learned helplessness was actually pretty interesting where it's if you're trying to help somebody else, it's uh counterproductive to try to go immediately to the solution because when we're kind of steeped in negative emotions, we really just need some time to relax and get ourselves out of the you know the, the yeah, immediate you're, you're not going to be thinking super logically at right. the time you're not ready to actually take action mm-hmm. maybe go for a walk first actually yeah, that would a be a great or, a great episode heck just if have you do a, have stress problems have a um a stupid halo and doritos and lincoln park night with your friends oh you, you know? say stupid like it's not basically like it's not heaven the best <laughs> The best thing to do maybe once a year and no more. Yeah, no more than that. <laughs> but for that for that once a year, it is heaven. It is a good night. Yeah, I'm pretty, we need to do that soon. Yeah, we do. Um, but after that, I remember coming up with an idea in the car once that I never ended up making into a blog post yet. But it was like this algorithm for dealing with stress. Um, basically, if I had something stressing me, I would try to run it through this series of checks like okay what what's the element of this problem that's really stressing me out can i identify like a specific cause okay well now that i've identified that what's my degree of control over it if i have a degree of control over it if i can change it in some way well then i'll do that and if i can't do it right now it's going to be a task that goes into my task management system which lets me get it out of my head and that's that's a way of being like okay whew, it's in a system it it's not going to slip through the cracks. It's going to take care of itself. Um, now I don't you have can, to worry Now you can about. unwind, calm down for a bit. Yeah. And if it's a problem I can't control, well, then I just have to tell myself, okay, I cannot control this. It is outside of my locus of control. There is nothing I can do about it. I just have to let it be and accept the state of the world as it is, as uh, Leo Babauta would tell you in many many yes. an email. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's very wise. Yeah. You so from there- it. You practice active stress reduction techniques like we just talked about, going for a walk or hanging out with your friends or just dealing with it in your own way and and just accepting the fact that there are some things you can't change. 
Um, and the other things that you can, you just have to do what you can. Now, I mean, it gets kind of hairy where you have problems like I have all this work to do before finals and I feel like it's too much. It's overwhelming me. Well, obviously, you're not going to be able to stretch time out and, you know, create a bunch of time for studying that didn't exist. But I've gone through this in videos. You can triage your work, identify the most important things to study, create a detailed plan, and then just accept that this is what I can realistically study and everything else I'll just have to accept being a little bit less prepared on it. And then hopefully I can do better next semester. So that was my giant brain dump of stress reduction. <laughs> cool. Did did I did you have anything else? Because well, I feel like I hijacked it from you a little bit. Uh, no, not much else other than like I just wanted to briefly mention some of the things that I liked to do. There's social things. Getting back into your comfort zone for a bit is a way of reducing stress, even if you shouldn't be there all the time. Okay. Uh, and I'd really like to accentuate that if you do feel bad and you don't know what to do about it, there are there are staff and their job is mm-hmm. to listen to you. And being unashamed to ask for help when you need it is just an important skill to develop as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, strength is not characterized by an unwillingness to accept exist, uh, assistance. Yeah, if it's you know that you cannot do it yourself and you, and some help would work and there is the correct resources to help you, it is your responsibility as an adult who is managing their own uh, emotional and physical well-being mm-hmm. to go ask for that help, see if it's there. And it, it doesn't have to be, I mean, it, it can be professional and I definitely encourage well, I, See, I, I, I was just thinking services. like you've got several levels you've got just your ra yeah you've got if you're stressed about a class maybe you can talk to the teacher you've got advisors mm-hmm. you've got probably school like counselors and all sorts of things mm-hmm. there are several levels of help that are available to you and you've probably got friends too yeah you know i've had problems with this for a long time probably for my whole life where number one i feel like i'm supposed to be the independent you know can do guy who processes every problem himself and it leads me to hardly ever talk about my problems um because i I just feel like oh well i should be able to work that out myself i don't want to bother anybody but my friends have always been more than willing to help out with stuff that i'm dealing with and they want me to tell them you know they feel they almost feel like they're left out if i'm dealing with something and not processing it well and then not coming to them so they are also there for you and um I don't know. I think that's that's one of my biggest problems. I I have that problem to the point where if something really cool happens to me, like I'm going to compete in a figure skating thing or I go on TV, like when I was on the Fox News interview thing, I felt like telling my family members and friends about that would be bragging. So I didn't tell all so of them. And then they were like, why didn't you tell me you were going to be on <laughs> TV? I really want I really would have wanted to see that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can send you the video. Luckily, it was recorded. But there's this this irrational thing in my brain where I feel like I'm either bragging or just, you know, wasting their time with stuff that should just be concerned with my life. And I know I'm wrong, but that's that's one of my problems. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the last thing that I wanted to say about, like, coping with uh, problems healthily and feel free to insert anything that you can think of. But just on the flip side, make sure not to cope with your problems unhealthily because uh, college is when a lot of people start drinking a few years in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I don't, I don't know if you ever had anything like this, but when I started drinking, I personally made it a rule for myself that if I was stressed, overwhelmed or sad, I wouldn't drink so yeah. that I wouldn't like kind of subconsciously teach myself. This is how you feel better. I would be, if I was in a good mood already and I was, I wanted to be social. Sure. Enhancing a good mood. I was okay with, but using it as the crutch to fix a bad mood, I didn't let myself do so that I wouldn't like accidentally teach myself Pavlo Pavlov style. Yeah. Um, this that, is the solution. I have the exact same rule. Um, and I, I drink fairly often, but if I am feeling sad or something or feeling just emotionally down or super stressed, I do not drink because I don't want to ingrain that as a habit. I don't want it to be like, oh, the cue is stress. The reward is the lack of stress and the routine is drink alcohol. That's that's a bad road to go down. Yeah, yeah. So I like, never want to let myself go down that road. You won't notice until it's become like a super ingrained habit. And then mm-hmm. you'll be like, oh, wait, when did that happen? Granted, grant, uh, disclaimer, not a professional. I don't deal with alcoholism in any way. I don't know, I don't know that stuff. But I'm also this is something I've but done. I'm like fairly certain that's is, a good thing. It has 100% been like great for me. I've never relied on it as a crutch because I never let myself teach myself to do that. Yeah. I never want to adopt any sort of negative behavior to cope with stress. And if I can identify negative behaviors that I do use to cope with stress, I want to do something to replace that with a better oh, coping Well, yeah, mechanism. see, look at these other ones. You've got exercise, meditation, hobbies, arts, social mm-hmm. stuff. These things, after you've revealed, after you've removed the stress by doing them, you have a positive benefit. You're more fit. Yeah. You're more mindful. You're more social. You've created art. Whereas if you use something uh, negative like drinking to solve the issue, afterwards you have, well, there's nothing. There's no long lasting solution. Oh, you know what? Solution. This reminds me, you know that book, Spark, uh, which uh, yeah. was the book about yeah. the science of exercise in the brain? One of the chapters, I think it was the chapter on stress, started out with the story of this woman who she was really plugged into her community. She was on like the PTA board of the school. Life was going great. And then they decided to remodel their house. And she had to stay home. Like she had to take a few weeks off of work and she had to stay home to be there all day to let the construction workers in and to basically oversee the project. And because she was home all day, she was removed from her environment and because her home was being torn up, she was really stressed and she started like having a glass of wine to take the edge off. Uh, And I think the book said like eventually she was having like a whole bottle of wine a day because it became a habit and that's what she did to deal with the stress of all this remodeling stuff until it became habitual Um, So she talked with the author because he's also a doctor and helps people overcome things like this. Um, Not like alcoholism, but like stress. And he like, uh, I think he just tries to get people to exercise, (laughs) but (laughs) he put her on a workout regimen and uh, that replaced the wine thing. So now she doesn't have that problem. She's able to deal with her stress through exercise, which is one of the best ways biologically of coping with it. So cheaper too. kind of a good way. Yeah. Wine's expensive. Yeah. Ten bucks a bottle. Well, I guess it doesn't have to be ten bucks a bottle, but <laughs> that's that's true. So yeah, but yeah, that's that's about all I wanted to talk about for uh, that section. You got anything else? No, I think that's. I think we covered it pretty well. Cool. Well, then the next thing that I would like to talk about with you is basically the. This is the part of our lives in college where it's very helpful to start becoming a more active member of your life. Mm-hmm. rather than passive. And what I mean by that is that if there is a problem or something you don't like or uh, any sort of struggle, that it is now your job 
it is your responsibility to deal with these things because you are now have the freedoms of an adult. So yeah, essentially, and I found, I found this cool quote uh, regarding this from uh, psychologytoday.com, and it's basically in regards to an active adult. They don't feel victimized by life or complain or dump their problems onto other people. Instead, they face their problems or challenges directly and work out solutions rather than depending on others for direction. And I think that that's just a really good kind of step in how one needs to start dealing with things as an adult because there are a lot of responsibilities you now have. With great power comes great responsibility, as a wise man once said. A wise man did once say that. And uh, in college, you're going to be expected to do a lot more things that you didn't have to think about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not just college. You have to, I guess this is the point at which you're becoming an adult. Yeah, like you hit you hit 18 legally. Now there are things you legally have to deal with. It's mm-hmm. your job. Just like we were talking about um, financially, when you're taking out loans and stuff, it is your job to know about that. Yeah. Don't just let loans happen to you. Take them on purpose if you need them. And we knew some people who senior year of college they had never once filled out the FAFSA themselves. Never filed they, their taxes. They literally didn't even know how much they owed in loans. And their their parents weren't paying off these loans for them. They had to pay them off, but they didn't know how much they had to pay because their parents had like dealt with the whole FAFSA thing for them. Yeah, see, and because of that, they were being a very passive member right. of that aspect of their life. And this this is like a perfect example of that... Um, that principle that you have to create your own emergencies. Essentially, you have to get ahead of problems before they happen, or you have to start um, stepping up ahead of when it needs to happen. Otherwise, other factors in your environment, external factors are going to create the problems for you. All of a sudden, you know, your parents are ready to let you take care of things on your own. And then you get like a tax bill and you're like, well, how do I deal with this? Right. I mean, you're going to have to deal with it at some point or another. So you know, I can't tell you what to do, but I know when I got into college, like I was very deliberate about, okay, okay, I want to become independent. I want to be managing my finances as independently as I possibly can, doing my own taxes, doing my own FAFSA, all that stuff. I want to be on top of it. Maybe that makes me a control freak, but I think that that may be just uh, another word for person who has their their crap together. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess maybe we can just go through some of the things that we personally did to start doing this. Because I remember, um, I think one of the things that benefited me was the fact that my parents didn't really have a very active hand in my uh, college application process. Me too, actually. They were telling me, they were like, you know, you should go to college. Maybe you you might think about majoring in this. Like they definitely were there to answer questions. It It wasn't like they were negligent or unwilling to help but they didn't they didn't know about the FAFSA they didn't know about how you go about applying they're like you basically need to figure this stuff out for yourself uh and I did and that was actually a really great experience because I had to learn how to fill the FAFSA out I had to learn how to do my own taxes and all that kind of stuff um and that led it just kind of ingrained this mindset of all right what factors of my life do I need to be thinking about what's going to affect my life? Um, which is why like before I even started classes, my room, my roommate and I were like, all right, you know what we should do? 
we should probably go get bank accounts. Here are names. That way we're not like asking mom to send us a check for money when we need it. I can just go to my bank and get it. Um, and uh, like I knew, for example, after sophomore year was going to end, we were all going to move into apartments um, and we were going to move into apartments off campus. And I was like, OK, what do I need to know to do that? Well, the the passive way, which I saw many people take, was just to wait until the year was almost over and then to panic and be like, oh, wow, I should probably move on um, the active the active component of this is to say, okay, maybe I should right now that I'm thinking about it, at least do some research and start making a list of all the things that go into getting, getting an apartment ahead of time. In which uh, case you learn that, oh, well in this city, since it's a university town, all the leases happen in August. Uh, they start in August, which means that every student is signing leases really early and the earlier you can do it, the better. And in fact, if you want your pick of apartments, you need to sign your lease in like February of the previous school year. Um, and I, I'm very fortunately we did that. So yeah, but only got, through, only through proper organization. Yeah. Right. So it's just like having in the back of your mind, like what do I need to be thinking about what's coming up? Uh, getting like the day you sign up for classes on your calendar. So you know exactly when that day comes, uh, you can get in there and sign up your classes immediately. Basically it's maybe instead of passive, we could use the word reactive. Instead of becoming oh, a yeah. reactive person, you want to become a proactive person. Exactly. And I like how you and mentioned that's a rock that, fact. Yeah, that's a rock fact. <laughs> but I, I like how you said when you needed to find these things out, you started looking them up. You started researching it. Yeah. And that's actually another good aspect that one should build, at least during this time, if they don't already have it. And that's becoming a solution finder, a solution minded person. Yeah. Like this is something that I think working in IT has done for both of us very well. We had to basically solve a bunch of problems that maybe we couldn't just ask somebody next to us for the answer to. Mm -hmm. It was more complicated. So essentially, what I'm saying here is that we needed to change our knee-jerk reaction to ask for help when presented with a problem. Yeah. The first response is not immediately, teacher, I don't understand this, without even, like, without even having tried a little bit to figure it out by oneself mm -hmm. and this is just going to pour over into all sorts of classes all sorts of job things everything because asking people for help when you need it when it's the best solution to a problem so if i needed to build a house i'm not going to build a house by myself i'm going to ask people it's the best solution right but if i don't know what to do about my maybe my lawnmower is uh, broken then i'm going to need to figure out what to do and see if it's solvable by myself first and then maybe ask for help if I need it rather than just jumping immediately to somebody else fix this problem for me. Yeah, exactly. Now, I do think there's a balance to be struck here because there's another concept that I um, live by a lot of the time, which is just-in-time learning. And just-in-time learning is kind of the opposite of just learning just in case, like you might need something. Um, so for example, if I need to learn some sort of animation technique for a new video, I'm not on YouTube just going through an after effects course just because, oh, maybe I'll need this later. Um, it's more like, oh, I really need to do this thing in this video. Well, now I'm going to go look up a tutorial on it. And I think you have to balance that ideal with this ideal of being proactive and learning things in advance because 
I'm not saying that, oh, to become a, you know, a responsible adult, you need to go out to the library right now and buy a lawnmower repair manual just in case you need to repair a lawnmower someday. Um, I think there's like a short list of common things that every adult should probably know. Like it's probably a good idea to learn how to change a tire before your tire blows up on the middle of the road. That's true. That's probably a good idea. It's probably a good idea to learn like how to open a bank account. Um, the basic process of like maybe doing laundry and cooking something like a few things you could get ahead of. Um, but a, a lot of this mindset is just like having the proper sort of mental framework for reacting to something when it does come up uh, and then being proactive in certain areas or, yeah, or yes. just being maybe maybe just being a little bit better at being reactive ahead of time. So instead of like, oh, crap, I need an apartment in two months. I better do that now. It's like. I think I might want to live in an apartment my senior year and it's the beginning of my junior year. So I've got quite a while until that happens, but I'm going to make a note to start doing research next week. You know, there's no harm in doing research ahead of time. And you may learn that it's really a really good idea to do that. Okay. So another thing I wanted to mention real quick, a little, little hard truth, a sad truth, but it's that adults are just humans. Other adults are just humans. And what I mean by that is that obviously respect your teachers and uh, other such figures, but you can't just blindly assume that all other adults you meet are 100% right or informed and you are still responsible for things Mm. if maybe they offhandedly give you some advice and they had a number wrong. Yeah. It's still like I had a a friend who was in um, college design, actually, and... Basically, she had to go through and she wanted to be, I think, an architect originally. But the the advisor that she had 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 recommended she take a physics course because she has to to qualify to maybe take architecture. Well, later, she didn't want to take architecture and she learned that she never had to take physics in the first place. And she didn't get as good of a grade in physics as everything else. So essentially just because she didn't double check the work of the advisor and make sure it was true and she just went with it, Mm -hmm. she cost herself a little bit of GPA because she was forced to take a class she didn't actually need because the advisor was mistaken. And that's a situation where it's, it kind of sucks because you you feel like you should be able to trust your advisor. Oh, you feel like you should be able to, but they have like how many, how many people probably? Yeah, they've got a lot. There are a lot of students. And I guess when it comes down to it, like your life is, I guess you're, you're primarily responsible for your life. And by extension, you're primarily responsible for your goals and the plans that go into achieving those goals. So college is a pretty big one. And I would say it's probably not the best idea to trust your entire plan to somebody else entirely. Like I know personally, I had a, a spreadsheet that listed out all my classes that I was planning on taking every semester for all of college. And whenever I'd maybe get a new interest or something would change, I'd go in and update it. And um, in the same folder on my computer as that spreadsheet, I had the general education requirements for my major and then the actual major class requirements with the recommended order of taking them and like what semester you should take them. I remember spending a good couple of hours just pouring over those documents, pouring over the university class catalog, and building that list myself, uh, and then going and running a degree audit to make sure that, okay, this computer program 
has told me these are the exact uh, credit requirements for every little area, humanities, sciences, business, uh, core curriculum, MIS curriculum that I need to get to graduate. And I knew that stuff cold. I was on top of it because I was investing a ton of money and time in getting that degree, you know, and as much as I trust my advisor, as much as it is that as it is their job to keep on top of that stuff for me, I'm going to know. You yeah, know? because sure, it is their job and you should be able to, you can probably trust them most of the time, but you mm-hmm. can also trust that everybody makes little mistakes here and there because we all have a lot of stuff on our mind. That advisor has a personal life and yeah. other things also in their brain. They're not just a robot that tells you the requirements for things. So essentially know that deep down, it's in a way always going to be kind of your responsibility to make mm-hmm. sure these things work out, whether or not you would rather pass that off to somebody else. Yeah. And I mean, on a related note, uh, Martin and I are in the same boat. We are fallible humans. You yes. Know? Um, I have like, there's a disclosures page in the, in the footer of College of Geek, and there's a little content disclaimer in there. It basically boils down to, I'm not an expert or a perfect robot with amazing information. I'm just a guy that tries my best to share information that I'm interested in that I think is helpful. But I can't guarantee that, you know, I'm 100% accurate or that everything is always up to date. Um, something could have changed. Literally in the last Listen Money Matters episode we did, I recommended some service called William Paid, which helps you uh, pay your rent with a credit card if you want to. And I was like, I was recommending it on the episode and then Andrew happened to Google it and he was like, oh, dude, did you know that like a few months ago they actually shut down? I was like, oh, well, that would probably be a good thing to know. That is a perfect (laughs) example, actually. Yeah. And I mean, like, I I don't have the time to go check every single website that I recommend. (laughs) I'm going to double check every website in every post every day that I've ever done. Yeah. Like, I, I can't do that. So you just have to become the kind of person that if something is going to affect you or if you're going to let it affect you, in certain cases, you do need to verify for yourself that it is what you think it is or it is what you want or, it to be. Or at least be willing and prepared to deal with the consequences of not verifying it. Mm-hmm. Maybe if it's not a high-risk thing, you're like, whatever, maybe I can be wrong. That's okay in this situation. But if it's, yeah. say, your graduation or yeah, maybe big. your GPA is going to be affected, these are a little more important, so you might want to put a little more weight on uh, those kind of issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So on this whole note of like becoming independent, uh, definitely the skill of fact-checking is important. Definitely the skill of becoming the kind of person, a solution finder, becoming the kind of person who will automatically think to fix the problem themselves instead of asking for help immediately. Those are really good skills. Um, another skill that we wanted to talk about was time management. This was so, so important during my freshman year because... It really is quite a shock to leave home and not have your parents managing anything for you anymore and it being entirely up to you to manage your entire schedule. Uh, And like you said, like that 36% of students surveyed, they didn't feel like they were coping with the stresses of day-to-day college life. And I think part of that is time management skills aren't quite there yet for a lot of of, uh, new students. So... What did you specifically do to get better at time management when you went to college? Well, one of the first things that I did was I actually set everything up in a Google calendar, like classes. And when I got a job, my job, 
that way I could see when can I study? When can I do homework? Okay, this homework isn't due for two days, and that's cool, but mm-hmm. it looks like tomorrow night I'm actually really busy. And if you okay. don't have that laid out, maybe you won't know. You won't predict the problem before it occurs. Yeah. And actually, part of what makes this a little bit harder is that in high school, at least for me, and I assume this is the default, I, I also assume there are differences in some places, but I had the same eight-ish classes every day. Every day, the teachers were there to remind us, hey, you've got homework. It's due in two days. But in college, most of my classes were an every other day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I would go to class on Tuesday. They would say, there's homework due Thursday. But then on Wednesday, that entire class isn't there. It's out of sight, out of mind. If, yeah. if I'm not managing this somewhere, then I'm. it's very easy to forget mm-hmm. that entire class existed until Thursday when they're going to say, well, it's due. Where's your homework? Yeah, yeah. I'm not here to remind you yesterday because that's not my job. I had a thing that kind of forced me to become very, very good at time management. Um, the job that I had as a freshman, I was working at the campus tech support center, which kind of like the job you had in community college. Um, but the way they did hours there was they would just release this giant calendar of hours and all the employees could log into the basically like this big spreadsheet and you could claim the hours you wanted, which was awesome because you could basically set your own hours every single week. You're like, oh, well, this week I've got a club meeting at Tuesday, you know, seven o'clock. So I'm not going to work this Tuesday, but next Tuesday I have nothing. So Maybe I'll work seven o'clock next Tuesday. It was super cool being able to choose my own hours every week, but it was also competitive because the hours were first come first serve basically. So number one, I had to know exactly when the calendar of hours would open. So I could get in there and snap up all the hours I wanted. But then because it was changing every single week, I had to know I'd have on a calendar exactly when I was working. There was no way I would keep it all straight in my head if I just tried to remember it. So Work, uh, working with that kind of a schedule forced me to get really good at Google Calendar. So I had all my work hours, I had my classes, I had clubs on there, and then I also experimented with things like putting workouts and meals on there, and occasionally I would experiment with like putting homework on there. Um, but one thing I did was I used multiple calendars so I could color code them, and that kind of gave me a, a bird's eye view of each individual little bucket of my life like work school all those kind of things and then I could look at it all at a glance and be like all right this percentage is school right now this percentage is work I kind of have this idea of where my time is going to be going so I'd highly recommend doing that um, and then also just getting into the habit of getting all of your tasks and events into a task management or a calendar some sort of system the moment they come up I think that's one thing that um, I wasn't always perfect at as a student is I wouldn't get assignments right into my task management system uh, as soon as they came up. And I wouldn't always be perfect at taking the syllabus and translating that oh, to yep. tasks in Wonderlist or to Actually, do or whatever I was using I completely forgot that I did that. But that's that's yeah. a good idea. If you're using Wonderlist or anything like that and you get a syllabus and they have hard, hard predicted these are when all the homework are going to be due for the whole semester. You can yeah. put that in your your calendar system or your task management system immediately and just change a little tiny one occasionally when the teacher changes the due date. Mm-hmm. And then you are never going to be caught by surprise when it turns out you were supposed to be working on a project this whole last week, but 
they didn't mention yeah. it because the teacher says, well, you read the syllabus, right? You should have known. I think we can we can lay out a, a few kind of golden rules for time management. Like if you follow these, you're not going to have a problem managing your time in college. Number one, whenever a event or task comes up, immediately get it into a system you trust. So for me, that's Google Calendar for events and Asana for tasks, though if you're not on a team, I think Asana may be a bit too much and maybe try like Wonderlist or Todoist because um, Asana is really built for teams. Number two, make it a habit of every day, either when you wake up or the night before when you're going to bed for the next day, checking your calendar so you know exactly what's going to happen that day. And three, if you need it, have reminders. Um, any calendar app, and if it's not like a paper notebook, is going to have the ability to set a reminder notification. So if you happen to need those, use them. Um, you know, don't be too, don't have so much pride that you like don't set them up because you don't want to try to store things in your brain. You know, putting them in a system is much better. And then if something changes, uh, just like it's important to get things into the system when they first come up, if they change, make it a habit of immediately updating it in the system. Don't tell yourself, oh, I'll remember that this meeting got moved up an hour you're not going to remember it. Uh, as long as you have the system in place and you check it regularly, then time management becomes easy. And from there, it just becomes like attention and energy management and, you know, working within the limited time you have. So on the note of me having that job that required me to become like a time management ninja, uh, and don't put that in your Twitter bio, <laughs> we did say we'd have a debate on like the merits and disadvantages of having a job in college. So before we get into little like details here, what's your overall opinion of uh, having a job in college? My opinion is that it's a great idea after like maybe you get your bearings and get adjusted to things because uh, so imagine you go to school, you're a freshman, you don't have your comfort zone, all these things we've been talking about. You barely know how to handle the new class load and you don't know the buildings very well. See, I would think that maybe waiting a few months and then maybe near the end of first semester, if not the beginning of second semester, then absolutely is mm. that's when I got a job is uh, November of my first semester. But before that, I explicitly did not want to have one Okay. while I adjusted and learned the new environment. All right. So I'll say up front that I think in general, having a job in college is in most cases a good thing. Um, and there's an entire part-time jobs episode we've done where we talk a little bit about uh, some of the better types of jobs. Like it would be really great if you could get a job that had something to do with your major area so it could give you resume experience or if it had something to do uh, with like social skills or organizational skills or helped you develop any of those soft skills that employers really, really want. Anything that's going to give you ex uh, extra benefits on top of the paycheck. You know, it's going to be a lot less benefit a beneficial to like work at a fast food joint than it is to work in, you know, a research project for your professor though working in fast food at least gets you a paycheck. But on the, on the thing you said, I totally get your logic. I know that I came into school having a job um, that actually started before classes started. You started working before you had classes. Yeah, we had to actually, it was what kind of job was basically this? it was the, the tech support um, center on campus and they oh, were hiring wow. you people. had to do that part yeah they were hiring people for what they called dorm storm isn't that horrible then though and that was like your first 
experience? You know what? It was fine. Like I was, I've heard I stories. was busy. Okay. We were required to work 40 hours the week before classes started. Um, because <laughs> you're an adult now. Everyone's moving in over that week and everyone's like, how do I hook up my Xbox to the internet? I forgot my password and all, all these kind of questions. Like it's, it's bananas, but number one, I mean, I got paid for 40 hours worth of work for one week. That was pretty awesome. Had a that bunch of awesome. money for, you know, doing all the fun stuff that you do during freshman year. But like I said, that job helped me become a solution finder. It helped me get really good at time management. Um, it, it, it did admittedly squeeze the free time I had because I was working the full 20 hours per week that they limit students to uh, all throughout the first semester. And I think for pretty much a lot of college after that. So I definitely had uh, a lot of my hours eaten up with work, but it basically forced me to value the rest of the time that was left over. And I honestly don't think that I was too limited. Like I, I did have time to hang out with friends and I did have time to get my homework done. Um, you just had to use the time. Yeah. And the, the cool thing about on-campus jobs is usually the people managing you understand that you're a student and they're willing to work within your schedule. Uh, like I knew, I know that Anna had a job on campus that she only had to work eight hours a week. Which yeah, that's pretty good. That's like, if you can do a weekend that's shift, true. you can not, knock out like five hours there everyone and do a three hour shift. 20 hours, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not so working at recommending, you know, working 20 hours a week definitely gets you a lot of pocket change. But having something, even if it's like eight hours a week, especially if you can get you some extra benefits, you know, like professional experience, it's hard for me to not recommend doing that unless you're in some insane like med school program where you're taking 20 credits of classes or you like literally have to spend all your time studying, you know, but I think for most students, they have the time to, to work in some, some work. Oh yeah. Well, I can, I can agree with that. I'm just a little, I'm just a little extra. I was concerned about my uh, ability to blend in, get in socially, Mm -hmm. get comfortable with things, figure out how to sort of be an adult for the first few months and make sure classes were going. But but on that note, though, what if you have a job and your classes, your grades start slipping because uh, maybe you're working too much or you can't juggle both? Oh, yeah, yeah. What would you say then? I I would prioritize the classes. Always classes first. Yeah. That's what you're here for. Unless you literally physically need the money to like eat. Well, yeah, or I mean, something. if you literally physically need but, money to eat and you're running out of money. But if you're just then. getting, if you're just working at uh, maybe a dining center or something and you're doing it just for some extra money and your grades start slipping, you would cut the job. I or at least some hours. I wouldn't quit the job without thinking. Well, yeah. I yeah, would, don't, I don't would just, ask don't myself, just blindly do it. Is it the job that is causing my grades to slip or am I using the job as a scapegoat for Poor study techniques. Oh, that's true. Or, that's a, that's dangerous. You know, being unorganized. So I would try to ask myself, what is the point of failure? Just like that little stress uh, management algorithm we talked about earlier. What's the one little element that's really causing the problem? If it's the job, then yeah, I would go have a conversation with my manager to say, hey, I have to prioritize my school. So can I either cut my hours or if I can't, I'm going to have to leave because I, I need to make time to study. Um, and also I won't blanket recommend the job. Uh, if it's just any job, like if your only job option at the moment is like a job that requires a half an hour drive to some other end of town, that's kind of tough to deal with. 
Yeah, I don't think I would have gone for that. You know, but like my job was on campus. I could walk there from my dorm in five minutes and then I could walk to class right after that. And that fit super nicely into my schedule, you know, and maybe maybe it's uh, not super easy for you to find that kind of a job, um, but it's at least worth looking, I think. And most schools have either some sort of online job board or maybe somebody who works like at the worksite department or works at the administration building who can help you find one. So at least worth thinking about and looking into. And if your only options are terrible and they're going to completely just dice up your schedule in ways you don't want to deal with, then don't do it. Now, would you suggest everybody get a job immediately like you did? Um, I don't know. If, if I think about it logically, I feel like maybe your method was possibly better. Are you saying I win? Though... Well, see, you had a you had a very fitting job too. You had like yeah, if my job fit your very job well. fit as a it's a re, that's a line in your resume. That's mm-hmm. that's immediately beneficial. I could see why you would want to do that rather than take a break and maybe not get that job. But um, before I knew about the job, my original intention was to get a job as one of the bus drivers that drive the side ride buses, hmm. and I fully planned on having that job immediately as a freshman. You know. And I mean, maybe this was due in part to like, I was doing everything I could to be ready in high school. I oh, was yeah. and researching had the dorms so many and jobs. stuff. I had had a lot of jobs in high school. Um, I knew what my class schedule was going to be as soon as I possibly could. So I was like doing whatever I could to make the transition to college as smooth as possible. And that's why it was possible for me to do a 40 hour work week immediately before classes started because I was basically ready. It definitely resulted in some late nights getting our dorm room unpacked, but uh, also my roommate had the same job as me, so it was kind of funny. Like we were both sitting there answering calls until like 9 p.m. one night, and then we had to go back and unpack our dorm room <laughs> until like 2 a.m. Wow! But when you're 18, you can uh, basically just never sleep. So <laughs> that is basically the rule. It's what I've heard. Yeah. So I, I had my way of doing it, and. I at least want to like report on the benefits that I enjoyed from it. It wasn't easy by, you know, by any means, but I found it beneficial. Um, I'm not going to go right out and say like, you should do exactly what I did, but I think at least looking into having a job at some point is a good idea. And as much as it pains me to admit it, Martin, your, your method is probably a little more sane for most people. Yeah. And I I think (laughs) that it definitely depends on the kind of person. Maybe, Maybe you're just you're just a go-getter and you want to do this. You want to get a job. Great. But if you come in and you're immediately like, it's hard to juggle the class load. You need to get your bearings, figure out your any sort of task or time management, study techniques. Then maybe maybe just give it a little bit. But I did get a job my first semester because mm-hmm. I got impatient with not having a job. Getting a paycheck is nice. Yeah, it's it's so nice. I don't know. But also after three months, I had, I had proven, well, my grades are pretty decent. It looks like, looks like no problems should be fine. Yeah. See, I've always been the kind of person who rather than like my immediate response to a lack of money is not to get frugal. It's to make more. So that is the more fun response. Before I was an entrepreneur, the solution was, oh, I will go get another job or I'll try to find a higher paying one. Uh, and it doesn't mean that I never budget and I never try to save money, but like my first solution, the, th- the thing that bubbles to mind first is how can I make more? 
Um, and in school and in, in college, that was like, all right, let's be more efficient so I can work 20 hours a week, still pull down good grades in my classes and have enough money in the bank account to buy a computer if I need to, you know, or be able to eat out if I want to. Yeah. And go, go out with, uh, friends and stuff that's going to cost money. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, everyone's, everyone's situation is different, but it's at least something to consider. Uh, I think that's probably enough job debate though. Cause I know the last section you wanted to talk about was on just basically like personal growth and building an identity. And I feel like this is something that you yeah, thought like, a lot about. Oh, all the in time. College. All the time. Yeah. This was my favorite part of college was learning to figure out what kind of person I wanted to be, the kind of stuff I was interested in and just all sorts of stuff like that. Learning to fit in your own shoes, figure out what stuff you're talented at. That's a really, yeah. a really big part of growing up. I think. Was this something you were like, like, did you just sit down and like write out, this is the kind of person I want to be when you got to college or like how, now it wasn't, it wasn't that it it wasn't like this is, I didn't prescribe it like that necessarily. Okay. But on several occasions over the years, I've sat down and been like, okay, uh, I feel unfocused. What are the things that are most important to me? And I just write down a list. Here are the things I care about most. Mm. This one I wrote down because I felt obligated to write it down, but you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it as much anymore. So it goes off. I kind of reestablish what am I focusing on in life in general? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That I've done that several times, both during college and now. Um, one of the most interesting things I've learned about graduating is it's not as big of a change as you might think. Like there's definitely a change in how your schedule works. Um, there's less free pizza parties, but you still think about a lot of the same things. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I felt that when I was in college, when I was in college, I felt that I was going to graduate and then I was basically going to know it all and have it all together because that's what adults do. And students are the ones that are still growing. And uh, what I've learned now is it's just a continuation. You graduate and you continue to not know what you're doing and have doubts. Yeah. It's not like a magical transformation Mm -hmm. where suddenly you're mega adult and you can do no wrong. Yeah. I know one thing, and I think you mentioned this a little bit, that we've talked about in depth is this pressure to conform to things you've previously committed to or some sort of identity that you have adopted. Like I know you were like, I'm the language guy. I'm going to become a polyglot to the point where I'm going to start a blog that's about learning languages, which, you know, you did and it was really cool. Yeah. It was great at the time. Recently you're like, well, I don't feel like a, really compelling reason to learn six languages. I just want to keep learning Spanish because that's what I'm really passionate about. But I'm having trouble giving up this idea uh, idea or identity of becoming a polyglot. Yeah, because I'd become so attached to the idea of what, what I was. And you've got to understand your identity is going to change mm-hmm. over and over. I used to do a lot of music stuff, but it, it doesn't uh, speak to me the same anymore, so I don't give a lot of time to it. Yeah. And I guess not being guilted into doing stuff that you think you're supposed to like because you used to or because you think that would be cool to like those things. Yeah. I remember I had my own little, I had my own little crisis, like identity crisis with this because I got into like the blogging thing and then I started following all these bloggers who were like, hey, 
I'm this cool minimalist world traveler guy who writes uh, blog articles and you know runs my business from a laptop on a bus in uh, Cambodia, you know, and I travel to a new country every four months. And I was like, that's super cool. I want to be that kind of a person. Uh, and it got to the point where like College Info Geek was big enough that I probably could do that. Um, and then I started realizing like I don't actually like being gone all the time, and I don't actually like owning nothing and living out of a backpack. But yeah, there was so, kind of this resistance to like the the idea uh, or, or moving away from the idea like of that kind of a person. Like I, that was what I wanted to be for so long. Yeah, if you've built it up in your head or you've built it up to, to other people, you've been like, yeah, I'm going to do that. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. But now you suddenly have to maybe disappoint people by saying, I changed my mind. Yeah. But so like, well, first of all, it's going to be OK. They're probably not going to be that disappointed. They're but, not. <laughs> but it's really about uh, learning to do things because they're actually what you like and not because they're either a really awesome on a Twitter bio or or even a resume. If you're doing something that completely doesn't like vibe with you, yeah. like the uh, what was it? Maybe the first part of this, you mentioned a quote where they had said that uh, admissions workers, they want to see people who took French because they love French, not people who took Chinese because they thought it would look good. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I think about with my impossible list as well. Like there have been things I put on there because, oh, it would be really cool to say that I did this. Yeah, like it sounds Uh, fancy. And I have to go back in there sometimes and uh, there's a little twinge of pain whenever this happens, but I have to remove stuff. It's like, you know what? I don't actually think I care about that. Yeah, you know? it's, it's really difficult to let go of the things that you attach yourself to. So mm-hmm. I think that one of the best things you can do in college is try a lot of things, but don't artificially attach yourself to them just because. Ju- yeah. Go ahead and try out 20, 20, 30 clubs. Go ahead. There were 800 at ISU. There's certainly 30 that are worth trying. And then, but don't force yourself to go to them. You don't, there's no obligation. You can just say, well, actually I didn't like almost all of those. It turns out that's okay. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you have this problem, but, um, I have like this sort of compulsion to commit to whatever I start. Oh, I absolutely overcommit to <laughs> I have a fear of non-commitment as yeah. opposed to the more common fear of commitment. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like everything I do needs to somehow fit beautifully into the puzzle piece, into the puzzle of my future self. Yep. And if it doesn't reflect my identity that I wanted to build or some other stuff or I'm not going to be doing it in 10 years, then it's pointless. But that's really dumb and yeah. stressful also. It's a bad way to go about it, really. When I think about doing something fun, m- my brain immediately goes to, oh, well, you're going to do that forever. And you're going to be you're going to attack the ER oh. under the end of that. Oh. And you're going to be uh, whatever that is. Or, yeah, it's you like know, you're going to be a skater or you're going to be a cy- you're gonna, cyclist. You're going to rollerblade. But, but what, what about in 20 years? Will you still like what if you can't rollerblade anymore? What then? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Future Martin in 20 years is going to figure that out. <laughs> Future Martin in 20 years is going to change. Yeah, he's not going to be the same Martin. And, and if okay. he is, then I haven't been growing. So that's maybe not my preference. Mm-hmm. Oh, on that note, one of the most important things that um, you can learn to do to grow personally is to learn to change your mind. Both learn that sometimes you're wrong to maybe accept criticism. If somebody criticizes you, uh, take that under advise uh, advisory that we say yeah um and not you know don't take all criticism and basically think oh my god i'm terrible everything bad people say about me is the golden truth but learn to take criticism learn to be 
you know, to be okay with being wrong, to change your mind and to change your mind about things you believed through a natural process of learning and growing and experiencing new things. You're going to change your interests. You're going to change beliefs and opinions you have. I know personally, like probably 75% of the opinions I held in high school have done 180s. Oh, absolutely. I became like the opposite of myself. Yeah. You're, you're coming into a time in your life where you're leaving the insular bubble of your family and while you're certainly going to hold on to certain values and certain beliefs and everything that you had then, it is likely that you're going to be challenged with new events and new circumstances and you're going to meet new people and you're going to learn so many new things that your beliefs might change. And I personally remember going through periods where I felt my beliefs changing and I felt bad about it. I was like, well, like I, you felt I guilty? believed all, yeah, I was like, I believe all these things in high school. Why, why am I starting to think that, you know, they're not right? Is something wrong with me? Am I exposing myself to the wrong things? And, oh, no. Yeah. I mean, to, to tread into dangerous territory here, like I grew up in a very conservative Christian house um, and like my whole family has changed drastically over the years. But when I grew up, it was like the go to church and all that stuff. And then I went to the college and I started being exposed to all these new things And because there's such an emphasis on principles and living in a very specific, very right, quote unquote, way, when you live in a conservative Christian family that goes to church every Sunday, you can start to feel guilty about your mind and opinions changing. You know, you're just like, well, why do I believe this now? That goes against what I learned as a kid, you know, what I learned in Sunday school. And those can be some challenging beliefs to overcome and some challenging, you know, moments of introspection, but, uh, it's a difficult situation to be in, mm-hmm. but that's also part of what you're becoming an adult now. And now you get to realize, are these things a part of me because I want them to be a part of me or simply because it's what I'm used to. Yeah. And you could, you could pick either way. If you had found out that that sort of lifestyle resonated with you personally, then it would have been great. Would have kept going, but maybe you realized being used to something and it it doesn't mean you got to do it forever. Yeah, exactly. And speaking speaking of being used to something, I want to touch on a point I want to touch on here is that uh, this is just a general life tip, but comfort is not the same thing as happiness. Oh no, it's not the same thing. For, for me, my goal basically in any given moment is I want to spend a lot of my time reaching out of my comfort zone to grow. Then I will naturally get stressed. I left my comfort zone. It'll freak me out a little bit. It'll be exciting. But then to recuperate, come back to my comfort zone, read a book, hang out with my innermost circle of friends, do something I'm nice with, recover, go back out, test the comfort zone again, keep growing, and then recover when necessary. Yeah. It's very like yin and yang kind of thing. You know, you spend some time in your comfort zone and you spend some time being stressed. Yeah, Another thing that that book Spark talked about is how on a cellular le- a cellular level, the human body is benefited by stress and it's benefited by some amount of pain and discomfort. Um, like the reason broccoli is healthy for you, one of the reasons is that it contains a toxin that has uh, been evolved to keep pests from eating it. And we, we don't die from it, but it actually does stress our cells a little bit and they come out stronger because of it or you know when you work out any of your muscles you're actually tearing it down and then it's rebuilding itself later to be stronger and your brain actually does the same thing as well um stress is great and i I know you'll agree with this 
when I find myself in a long period of time where there's no stress, when there's no change, um, there's no struggle, I feel like there's no point. Oh, yeah. And I start getting depressed. It feels like every day becomes the same. Everything, you're you're yeah, on autopilot. Because if you never leave your comfort zone, eventually you might end up on autopilot. And that's not a great way to spend your years. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I wonder if that might be part of the reason that we were all like in that huge funk during our senior year. Because I, I remember... Maybe. I had just... The like first couple of months uh, of my senior year... I was depressed and I, I thought that the main reason was because I had been single for a really long time and I was like lonely or whatever. And I think that may have been part of it because when I met Anna, like everything changed. Not as much as when the Fire Nation attacked, but it did change. <laughs> I was hoping for something like that. <laughs> um, But I, I think I was with her and I had a girlfriend now and it's like, this is awesome. But she also represented a big change in my life. And there was some stress and there was some growing to do there. I mean, there was a new person. And that's cool. And I wonder if, you know, we were just chilling in our apartment with all of our computers mm-hmm. in the living room, just doing oh, yeah. kind of the same thing. Like, maybe we go were to work, too go to class, come home. Nothing changed. I think maybe there was a little bit of just too, too much comfort and not see, enough change. That's, that's a problem. And I know obviously a lot of people say, well, you can be too comfortable. By far, you can easily be too comfortable. You're not growing. You're not challenging yourself. And I think that at some point you're going to end up in some sort of a funk. You're not going to be happy with that eventually. Mm-hmm. But there are all these online super hypey motivating things that are like life is only outside of your comfort zone. Never be in your comfort zone. But I also think you can be too out of your comfort zone all the time because if you don't give yourself time to, to recover, mm-hmm. you might just be really stressed out all the time, putting on a a happy face for the internet to think you're awesome. It's okay. It's okay to recover. Sometimes I just play Zelda, you know, that's okay. It's not that challenging, but if it allows me to recover so that I then have the mental energy to go do something different, more challenging later, then it's absolutely a good use of my time. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's it's definitely good to strike a balance there because you have all these people on Instagram. They're like, look at me. I'm climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and yeah, you're not a list of accomplishments <laughs> necessarily. You have annoying people like, you know, me and you who are just saying like, you need to get out of your comfort zone. Don't feel pressured to always be out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you, right. You like can't. listen, be in tune with the responses that your body and your mind are providing you. Um, if it's too much stress, if it's too much uh, stretching and, and struggle, then yeah, go it's, back to your comfort zone. It's like building, zone. building Recuperate. a muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go try to deadlift a million pounds, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Well, my because dad I'm always not trained uh, for it. You my gotta, dad always I mean, stressed the importance be. of not overtraining. Because sometimes I'd get really into lifting or something, and he'd be like, "Okay, but don't like you can't bench five days a week because you're just going to overtrain your muscles." Well, there you're training your comfort zone muscle. You're training mm-hmm. it. You need to give it give it time to recover and then grow bigger, and it'll it'll work out. Yeah. Um. And what, one little note there is you often hear this idea that you're like the sum of the five closest people to you. So this is related to comfort and happiness because if you have, if your closest friends are only, they're they're not challenging you. They're only letting you stay in your comfort zone. They're the kind of people who just want to chillax. They want to just hang out, play video games. Then it's likely that you're going to be influenced by that. Um, I've seen references to studies that like, if a person has like obese friends, they are more likely to be obese and less likely to lose weight. 
if their friends all smoke, like they're hmm. more likely to smoke. Like we are, we exude a lot of influence on the people around us. So that's something to think about. Like if you find yourself too comfortable in a rut, um, it doesn't mean you got to ditch your friends. And I actually struggled with that uh, idea for a while because it was like in high school when I heard that you're the sum of the five closest friends you have. And then you're and immediately like, like, oh, no, I was like, does that mean I have to just ditch you, my friends? You guys are because fired. They all like to play video games. And I, I learned that. No, that's not the case. You just need to have segments of your life that are removed from those people. Right. Yeah. Reach out to another friend group. We were just ta- we were talking earlier about mm-hmm. having other social environments. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't take it at like face value. Like if you identify five people in your core friend group, you're really close with, but they don't necessarily challenge you a ton. Uh, I think as long as you have people in your life that you do have regular contact with and who are building you up, even if it's not like your number five best friend in the world, that person is still exuding an influence on you. And because it's positive, hopefully it can overcome any of that um, just influence to stay in your comfort zone that comes from your core group of friends. Like I've got internet friends, like my friends, Matt and Andrew and uh, my friend, Caleb, my friend, Steven, like they're all in different cities, but I have regular contact with them and they challenge me to do things, which is great. Yeah. So it's less about literally your five closest friends. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't need to write down their names and like throw darts at the unproductive ones that it's just overall, if you're finding you're not challenging yourself and you're not being motivated to challenge yourself and you're not doing anything. Maybe right. look and see if that's because that's the social environment basically mm-hmm. telling you to just chill. Yeah. And also remember that you're the close friend of your friends. So oh, that's true. You you're can, providing you positive influence. influence on them. Right. So I'm not a fan of, of sticking around toxic people. But if a friend needs help, then be around to be a, a positive influence for them. You know? Yeah. And then uh, the last bit here for personal growth is this question of whether to specialize in one thing and invest all of your time in that one thing or do all the things. And, um, you know, today's a Saturday morning breakfast cereal is beautiful. We should link to that. Wait, really? It absolutely has to do with this topic. I haven't seen it. Oh, you what? You read them like every morning, every morning. It's the only comic I read all the time. Shout out to Saturday morning breakfast cereal. Nice. I do have a couple of his books on the shelf. Cool. Well, I will. I will link to the. Yeah, you SM- should link to that. But SMBC. The, the idea is that uh, essentially, I can choose to be average or mediocre at maybe maybe ten or twenty things, and I'll I'll get to be mediocre at all those, and maybe that's awesome. But I could also choose to instead be really good at two or three things, or world class at like one thing. And the amount of obligations you take, each one takes time away from the other obligations. So you're limiting your ability to perform in all of them. So, yeah. So you have to choose. Yeah. So definitely try things. But uh, it's like how I was saying earlier, maybe try out 30 clubs. But if there are two or three, four clubs you really liked and you didn't like the rest, cut cut the rest. You mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're giving yourself no ability to really go in depth with the things you do care about, the things yeah. you do find you're good at. And I know when I was earlier on in college, uh, I had this compulsion to stick with all the clubs because I thought they'd all look good on my resume. And I was like, I need to be the president or treasurer of every club ever and be on student council and all these things. Yeah, that can make your resumes 
activities and honors and awards section a little bit bigger. But if you go really, really hard on one thing, you're going to produce stellar work that what was that speaks uh, volumes that and term is just from the like superstar status oh, the or superstar something? effect yeah. yeah which we talked about in the first episode yeah you know that that kid who got into stanford with subpar grades for stanford standards because he had invested all this time into these environmental projects and his application stood out because no one else was able to tell the story he was able to tell even though he wasn't president of 15 clubs and varsity captain of the yeah but he was like squash team he or was whatever. way more in depth than that i wanted to pick a sport with that one thing play <laughs> i don't even know that sport the calvin ball team calvin ball i'm the that's best a good game. At calvin ball that's a good game no no i think i'm the best at calvin ball fair okay. enough <laughs> good that's the new rule yeah so i guess that's all i had to talk about on prioritization cool was just that don't overstretch yourself or you're limiting yourself yeah. yeah. So we're closing in on two hours here. Uh, yep. We have gone through a lot in this episode. Thank you if you've and made it this far. Yeah. Maybe it's the same cow with the same like faulty iPhone. Yep. <laughs> still on. It's still on. Yeah. We're just talking in a, a week later. But no, like obviously we can't teach you to become an adult in one podcast episode, but hopefully. Well, hey, it's like we said, it's your responsibility to take this information and do something <laughs> with it. I can't make you do it. Yeah. Um, so one of the resource, and this is less for like all the personal growth and everything that we talked about, but for like the whole, like how to become an adult, how to change tires and do your taxes and all that stuff. Uh, my friends, Michael, uh, T. Michael Martin and Emma Mills, they have a channel called how to adult on YouTube. Uh, I've worked with them before a couple of times and actually Mike was on the podcast a little while ago. Uh, we did the episode on how to become a published author. So his channel, I guess their channel, is really good resource for just moving into adulthood, uh, which you have to do while you're still in college. So check that out. And other than that, show notes can be found over at CIGpodcast.com. Check the episode 111 link on that page, and you'll find all the links to the things we talked about, um, at least the ones that I remembered to write down here. And you'll also find a link to rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you want to support the show. That is a great way to do it. Definitely uh, helps bump the show up the rankings in iTunes and lets me know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And also just, I really appreciate it. So thanks for listening. Uh, thank you if you decided to leave a rating and review. And we will see you in the next episode. Stay cute.